0: We are going to wrap up our Code of Kings series today, and we're going to do that right out of here in First Peter chapter two. If, if some of you are really keen, you have a keen memory, you'd remember week three. We talked about being decidedly different. And we spent time here, and I said we're going to end here, and I meant it. And here we are, some I don't know twenty hours later of real time preaching. Here we are, week ten. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, and we're going to land the plane, land the series with this thought. Verse 4, Peter says to the church, that's us, to the people of God, he says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone, the living stone, he is the cornerstone of God's temple. And he's saying, essentially, God doesn't live in bricks and mortar. God lives in people. He's saying, you're you're coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And here it is. And you are living stones. That's us, the church of God. We are living stones that God is building together side by side, brick by brick, stone by stone. He's building us together into his spiritual temple or his dwelling place. How how many of you know you don't go to church, you are the church? Six people know that. That's good. we got some work to do today. That's what we're going to talk about. So you came to the right place. I'm going to teach you here. God is building us into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Not just me, all of us. All believers, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Verse 9, Peter says, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, when you boil all of this and build it all together, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For He called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And once you had no identity as people, now you're the people of God. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me one more time as we close this series? Father, we ask you right now in Jesus' name, would you give us a vision for your design for the church? Would you give us a vision for how you designed us to function, How you, your architecture, your, you, the, the way in which you designed us to operate together. Lord, would you give us a vision of how that's to work when we find ourselves to be a part of this amazing, amazing body we call the church? Lord, would you speak to us today, and as we wrap up this series, would you drive these values deep into our heart? Would it be more than just some stickers on the wall or just a series we did once? God, would we actually live out this code? Would, we, would this be the code by which we live our lives? We pray in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. Why don't you say to the person next to you, we're going to bring it all together, then you can have a seat. We're bringing it all together. Well, if you're just joining us, you are here at week 10 of a 10-week series. Now, a 10-week series is a very long series. We preach through things we call series. We'll take like a thought or a concept or a passage of scripture or a book in the Bible and we'll just preach through it. That's what we call a series. And here we are at the 10th week of a 10-week series. That's a very long series around here. And what we've been doing for the last 10 weeks is we've been doing this series called Code of Kings where week by week we have unlocked our code, our ethics, our ethos, Our values. We essentially have been saying through this whole thing that your life and the culture in which you live your life and the culture in which we live our lives as a church is a byproduct of the values that you hold that the culture you have in your home is a byproduct of the values you've planted or you hold on to. Whether you've intentioned them or not, your life is a product of your values. And so what we've done for the last 10 weeks is we've said, what are the values of King's Church? Better yet, what are the values of the kingdom of God that we wanna plant down deep that come what may through thick and thin, whether whether the culture accepts it or rejects it, whether you know, so-and-so is president or not or whatever comes or happens, what are our values that we're saying we're not letting go? With these things, and so that's what we've done week by week. And I'll see if I can get through and do a recap. Week one, we talked about we are a people of the king, we live for king and kingdom. Jesus is our king, and the framework or the worldview in which we operate is a kingdom mindset, a kingdom worldview. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? Week two, we said, as we build our lives, we don't build it on our opinions, on our emotions, on how we feel, on what culture says. We build our lives on the authority or the rock of God's word. We talked about on the word, that we've built our lives on the word, that that's our authority, amen? The word of God is our authority in which we operate. And then week three, we talked about as we build our lives, as we build this church, we are going to be decidedly different, that we've made a decision to embrace the fact that as aliens in this world, as people from another place, people from another kingdom, our lives are not going to fit perfectly in this world. And we talked about about engaging it, but not being perfect, Part of it. And we talked about this idea of being decidedly different. Then, week four, we said we do all of this by the power of the. All right, seven of us got it. That's good. It's on the wall if you need it, but by the Spirit. By the Spirit, we actually do the Christian life by the Spirit. It's not by our own power, but it's God's work in us. The Bible says that it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So as we structure our lives, God gives us the Spirit that changes our hearts and empowers us in our day-to-day lives. Week five, we talked about we are, people of, we are prayerfully faith-filled. Because we believe that our God is a God who is with us, our God is present, that his spirit is around us and in us and indwells us, we are people who are quick to pray. And we pray bold prayers. We're not, we're not apologetic for it. We'll ask our God for anything because we believe for, for God nothing is impossible. So we are bold praying people. We are prayerfully faith-filled. Week six, we talked about being radically generous. That that's a lifestyle that we embrace. That also coincided when we launched Love Week. We are radically generous people. We don't just do it one week a year. We are people who have adopted a lifestyle of radical generosity. Then week seven, we said our generosity overflows out of and into a love for the world. We love the world. We are people who don't try to withdraw from the world. We try to engage the world with the love of Jesus. Amen? Then week eight, I'm almost there. Week eight, we talked about excelling in honor, that honor is the key that unlocks kingdom, favor, and blessing in our lives and in our church. And I just want to say, I've seen you guys, I've seen in many tangible ways, both in our staff culture and in, with relationships around the church, I've seen us actually begin to intentionally unlock the honor key. It's been really cool to see, and I believe God's been blessing that. Week eight, we talked about excelling in honor. Then last week, we talked about the fact that all of this ramps in. I'm out of breath. All of this ramps in to being a people on a mission that we, like Jesus, have come to try to seek and save the lost, that we want all people to know the good news that King Jesus saves. Amen. Amen. And now here we are at week 10, and without this final piece in our code, our whole thing just becomes a disassembled mess. The whole code, the whole system will not work without this final piece. If we don't kind of bring it all together with this last piece, the whole thing just becomes this kind of dysfunctional, disassembled mess. Anybody uh, getting ready? Obviously, we're getting ready for Christmas. I hope you're done your Christmas shopping. But what? what as, as a parent of small kids, I am now safely in the zone of Christmas Day has become not, not just gift opening day. It's become setup day. You know what I'm saying? It's become the day where I spend hours on end unpacking things that have been packaged for no man to unpackage. You ever try to get a Barbie out of a box? I don't, you need the jaws of life to do that. I'm not even joking. Like they've packed things. It's crazy how they pack things now. we have gone overboard. Anyway, but not just to get things out of the box, but we actually have to assemble things, Correct. I, it's already begun for me. We did uh, the Brewer, my wife's, uh, my, my wife's family Christmas. We were up in Fredericton this past weekend, and we already begun our Christmas thing, and my son got this Lego Star Wars set, and like a bazillion piece set, right? Bazillion, it's a real number. And of course, I spent the afternoon yesterday building, assembling his Lego set, correct? Because every parent knows that the gift is not complete until it has been assembled. Can I get an amen? amen. Do you know what I'm saying? That there's assembly required to these Christmas gifts. Well, here's the thing about God. Here's the thing about the world. Here's the thing about the gift that God gave to the world called Jesus. He gave the world, the church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but here's the catch assembly required. Assembly required. That God actually designed the church to be his saving agent. Do you know that the church of Jesus Christ, no matter, maybe you've had a bad experience with the church, do you know that the church of Jesus Christ is the greatest gift God has ever given the world? Yeah. That we are God's saving agent on this planet? That God has actually chosen us to be his very saving agent, the thing that brings the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven? That's the job of the church. But here's the thing. Assembly required. If we don't come together in this last idea, if we don't come together in what I'm about to talk to you, then then the whole thing is just a disassembled mess, like a Lego box that's just there, and there's a picture of it. Well, it's supposed to be that, but it's just a bunch of pieces. And I fear that the world, when it sees the church, it has kind of a vague idea of what it's supposed to be, but I don't know that the world has yet to see the church fully function in unity fully function in this idea of assembly. I want to talk to you today. In our final week in Code of Kings, our final code is this. We are built together. We are built together. Code 10, we are built together. Can we bring that up? Code 10, built together. Here's the statement. We thrive and we flourish Only as we are built together in kingdom community. We thrive and we flourish. Do you know that that's God's design for your life as a believer? Jesus said, I came that you may have life and life to the full, overflowing, flourishing. And we thrive and we flourish only as we are built together in kingdom community only as we allow God to build us together. This is what Peter was talking about, that we are living stones built together. And here's the thing, unless we are built together, there is no thriving, there is no flourishing. It's just a disassembled mess. It's dysfunctional, it's disassembled. It's not what it's supposed to be. The design of the church, and just get a vision for this. The, The world has not yet seen what the church is fully capable of. The church is the most incredible, mind-blowing, you know, brain-melting, gift-overflowing, joy-filled, like the most incredible organization, operation, family, hospital, army, call it whatever you want. It's the most incredible thing on the planet. And yet a lot of the time we aren't excited about it because we've not seen it actually functioning like a toy that was kind of half put together but not all the way until we are built together in kingdom community. All of our code, all of this stuff we talk about, it's limited. But when we allow God to build us together in kingdom community, we thrive and we flourish and the world is changed through kingdom community. Here's a statement. You can can tweet this, write this down. Following Jesus is a group effort. Following Jesus is a group endeavor. You cannot experience life in the kingdom by yourself. Now, I know somebody, somebody, some person in there right now, you're thinking, what if I was on a deserted island? I think there's like a deserted island clause in here somewhere, so you're good. But God designed you to experience his goodness, to experience the reality of the kingdom within the context of other human beings. That's how he's actually created you to function as an individual and the church to function. That God designed it to happen in community. And here's the thing, the church is unlimited. When we come together, God dwells in us and anything is possible, but it only happens when we come together. When we're built together. It does not work as a disassembled mess. So for a couple minutes, and I don't want to spend a ton of time, but for a couple minutes I want to ask the question. Why are we built together? How does this function? How does this actually work? Why are we built together? How does this work? And I've got a couple observations. Now, I was here last night and I preached to an empty room and just, I was winded by the, by the end of this. Um, the, the creative team thought it would be a good idea if I used cinder blocks. Um, for this illustration. There was some debate, in fact, whether we should use cinder blocks or if we should use uh, boxes, cardboard boxes. And now I believe we made the wrong choice. Um, But I have a few observations as to how we have been built together and why we're built together. And the first idea is this, if you're taking notes. We are built together... To strengthen one another we are built together to strengthen one another here's what I know to be true as you assemble a wall or a house the more of these blocks that you get together they actually have more strength together than they have by themselves and God has actually designed the church to function to provide strength to one another this block is now stronger in the context of these blocks and that's true for your life and that's true for my life as a believer that I have been designed to be stronger in the context of community. I'm already winded, for real. (sighs) We draw strength from each other. Not in and of ourselves, but in the context of each other. Now, there's a couple main ways in which God has designed the church to give strength to each other. The first is this. When we gather together, the Bible tells us that we are to not neglect gathering together. There's, there's actually, in our day and age, especially in North America, in the West, there is a growing push within Christendom, Christianity. A lot of people say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't really love the church. Or I have a personal faith, but I don't really like going to church. Well, here's the thing. God actually designed the church to assemble in body, to come together, because something happens when we come together. Something happens when you come into a room and I come into a room and you come into a room and we come together and we sing and we worship and we submit ourselves to the word. God dwells in our midst in a way that he does not dwell when you are by yourself. Jesus, one time, he promised his disciples, he said, wherever two or more are gathered, I am there in your midst. Did you know that the spirit of God manifests himself in a special way within the confines and context of community. And you can only experience the strength and power of God in that way, to that level, when you come together as the body of Christ. The Bible says in Psalms that that God actually inhabits the praises of his people. That when we come together and we sing praise, when you come to church and we get together and we start to worship, that God shows up in a way that he just does not show up when it's just you and your living room. Not that you don't need to do that. You need your own personal time that God can speak just to you. But my point is this, that when we assemble together, God gives a special deposit of grace and his presence in us. That's what happens when we come together at church. That's what happens when we come together in kingdom community. This is why in Hebrews, Hebrews says, Do not neglect meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing. And it's very easy, isn't it? Especially in our day and age. I mean, there's probably some of you right now watching online, and I'm glad for that. I'm thankful for that. Maybe you got snowed in or iced in this morning. But if online for you becomes an off-ramp from coming to church and gathering as the body, you're missing out. If online helps you connect to the Word when you were otherwise not able to, we're celebrating that and we're thankful for that but we want online to be an on-ramp so that you can come and you can experience God in the context of community because God does something different when you're together with other people. We find strength in the context of one another. Now, here's here's the other idea. We don't just get strength when we assemble, but God actually gave you a gift and he gave me a gift in my life that actually is provided as a grace to each other. Did you know that you're not good at everything? Me neither. There's one person in the church that's got all the gifts. His name is Jesus. And the rest of us just have a few things. That God has actually given you as a gift of grace to me. And God has given me as a gift of grace to you. That God knows you have weaknesses. And here's the amazing thing. He's put people who are strong in areas that you are weak within the church. It's an incredible thing. There are natural gifts. There are things in which you were born able to do. Some of you are good with your hands. Some of you can build stuff. I can't. I can't even wrap Christmas presents. My wife like went off on me last night for my my wrapping job. It's not good anyway. I'm just not good with that stuff. I can't build stuff. I'm not like artistic with my hands. I just don't have that skill. But some of you, you grab a pencil like Pastor Dan's son. You give that guy a pencil, and he's praising God with it. It's amazing. All all of us have something that God has gifted you. Some of you are super smart. Some of you are leaders. Some of you are designers. Some of you are business people. Some of you are just really, really, really good looking. Like the Zoolander reference landed. Awesome. God has given everybody natural gifts, things that you were born with the ability to do. And here's the thing. He gave it to bring strength to other people. That God provided, think about this. God provided the person sitting behind you possibly as a strength in your area of weakness and that God provided you as a strength to someone else's weakness. That's how God has designed the body, the church. Here's what, here's what Paul says in Romans 12, verse four. He says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, or members means parts, arm, leg, hands, head. Just as one, each one of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, So in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. What's he saying? He's saying you without you is going to be a problem. But when you all come together, you have a functioning, strong body. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Do you understand? Have you ever thought of yourself as grace? Isn't that a crazy concept when we think about it? Like we think about the grace Jesus has given us. He's given us forgiveness. Have you ever thought about yourself as grace to the church? Have you ever thought about your life as grace to your family? As grace to the the body of believers that gather together at King's Church? You are a gift of grace in a very unique way. God has designed you as a piece to function in the context of the greater body. That's an amazing thing. I love the church because of this. Even just our natural gifts are, amaze me. I always joke these days: as our church gets bigger, we have somebody who can do so, anything. Like we've pretty much got everybody now. Like if you if you need a doctor, we've got every so many doctors. We've got nurses. We have so all kinds of people in the medical field. Then we've got business people. We've got we've got homemakers. We've got teachers. We've got mechanics. We've got engineers. We've got carpenters and contractors. We've got plumbers. We've got absolutely everything. I've always joked that if the zombie apocalypse breaks out and our society just tanks, we're going to be all right. What do you need? You need surgery? I got it. I got the guy on on my phone. No problem. We've got everything. God has gifted each of us in our natural gifts to provide strength to the body. And when we come together, it it creates this incredible strong thing. It's amazing. That's what it means. We're built together to provide strength to one another. Get this though. And some of you may never thought about this. God hasn't just given you natural gifts to strengthen each other, but the Bible says that every believer, that if you are a believer in Jesus and you are saved by his grace, that he's given you a spiritual gift as well. That each person, not not just the preacher, not just the person on stage, not just the pastor, every believer has been given spiritual gifts. Look what Paul says in verse verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. He says, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. What's that, a manifestation? A a, a presence of the Spirit, a present of the Spirit for the common good. For to the one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To the other, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of the miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To the other, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. So the Spirit gives these in unique ways. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Isn't that a cool thing? Like if God gave you the gift, a gift, a spiritual gift, he chose to give you that. Isn't that a cool thing? I think it is. Y'all looking at me like, I don't know, man. I'm still trying to catch up to what you were just reading. For just as one body has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. You see, God has given you as a gift of grace, a gift of strength to the body of Christ. That this stone, in order for this stone to stand up on this level, it needs this stone holding it up. See, God has given us to one another to provide strength to each other, to provide strength. That's the first idea. We're built to strengthen each other. Second idea is this. We're built to shape each other. We're built to shape each other. Where one block ends, another begins. And where this block, where the sides of this block are serving no purpose on its own, When it is placed and built together, now it's got sides of it that have a use and a function it did not have before. We are built to shape each other. Let me me say it like this. This might help you. Paul says it better. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, For the body does not consist of one member but many. Seriously, I should have used cardboard boxes. (laughs) If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? As it is, God arranged, get that, arranged the members of the body, the church, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? He's saying, if all of us were an ear, What would happen? Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Here's what he's getting at. God has designed us and arranged us to function together. And your usefulness is only useful in the context of someone else. Like if if my ear was on the ground here, it's not going to perform a whole lot of usefulness, correct? That's kind of a gross, morbid thought, but stay with me. Only when the ear is attached to my head, which is attached to my brain, which actually gives audible sound, that's when it becomes functional, correct? And this is what I mean by shaping each other. That as the stones are built together, this side of me now matters, This gift of me is now useful. On my own, it's kind of useless, but when it's brought in with the body, now it serves a purpose. One finger is not all that useful, but a finger in the context of a hand provides great usefulness, correct? We are built to shape each other. Here's the thing. I am not fully me without you that there are parts of me that would not be useful or would not matter without being in the context of the body of Christ. And you are not fully you without me. You're not fully you without the people around you, that there are sides of you and shapes to you that only matter when it's built next to the next block. C.S. Lewis, probably one of my favorite authors of all time, Christian thinker, he's since passed away. He said this in his book, The Four Loves, where he's talking about different relationships and community. And he said this about friendship. He and his friends had just lost a lifelong friend named Charles, one of their buddies. And he was observing what happened when they lost Charles, that the idea of Charles going did not provide for him more of the friends who remained, but it actually created less of them. Watch what he says. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. You seeing what he's saying? He says, now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Carline joke. That only Ronald could get him to laugh that way. Or only Charles could get Ronald to laugh that way. That there's a part of Ronald that is gone now because Charles is gone. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying far from having more of Ronald or having him to myself now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. We possess each friend not less but more as the number of those whom we share him increases. Isn't that brilliant? You, you know this to be true in your family life. You ever lost somebody close to you? we say things like, I lost a part of myself that day. That's because it's true, you did. That there's maybe something that that person was able to bring out of you or put in you that no one else on the planet could. And that's that's the idea of this, that we are designed to bring shape to one another, that what might have been an inanimate block that had no function now in the context of other blocks is building something together. We bring shape to each other third thought is this. We don't just shape each other, but we sharpen each other. That God has actually designed his church to not just fit together, but actually do the hard work of making us fit together. You ever felt like... uh, Somebody's a little, we say, like rough around the edges. Or like it's just not quite fitting. They're, they're a little off, they're a little off kilter. Well, God has actually designed the body of Christ to be the very, the very agent by which we are reformed, sharpened, and our edges are brought into alignment. That God actually created the church to be his shaping agent, that that the church actually has the capacity to sharpen each other, that God designed you to become more like Jesus in the context of the church, that God actually created the church to be the very thing that refines you and shapes you into a place where you fit in the kingdom of God. That he wants to use other believers to sharpen you in such a way that it it maybe smooths out your edges and it causes your definition to come forth and and to show your original design and your original purpose was all meant to happen within the context of the church. God gave us to each other to sharpen each other. God designed the hard work of community to be the catalyst of personal renewal and transformation. Let me say that again. God designed the hard work of community to be the, his transforming agent in your life. And a lot of the time we just pray, God, would you just zap me? You've got, you've got an issue over here. or Maybe you have this sin problem that you keep struggling with. And you say, God, would you just change my heart? And a lot of the time he does that through other people. In fact, most of the time he does that through other people. And here's what I know to be true. If you're like me, it's just easier to do your own thing and not have people get, have permission to kind of call you on your stuff. Here's a question. Do you have anybody in your life that can tell you the truth? Have you submitted yourself to anybody that, you, that can actually, like, pardon my French, call you on your crap? Here's what I know to be true about myself. Of all the human beings in the world, I am least objective about this one. And I can say the same for you. No one has lied to you more than you have lied to yourself. We are blind when it comes to ourselves. So God has, again, given us a grace in one another to provide for us a sharpening agent that actually helps refine one another. Look what Paul says. Paul's the man. He says in Ephesians 4, he says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Someday I'm gonna just teach on that scripture. Their Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Watch this. This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be able to be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full, complete standard of Christ. Do you see what he says? That you measuring up to the full, complete standard happens within the context of the church of Jesus. That you are shaped and sharpened within the church. That not just did God design you to fit, but he's still working on you to actually fit and to to smooth out your edges and to cause you to fit into alignment and unity. And he does that within the context of community. He does that with other people. Look what he says. He goes on. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be like immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Lots of wind going around these days. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Here's what I know to be true about my life and probably yours too. Do you know that the enemy prefers to attack you when you're isolated? Like, that's what he did to Jesus. You saw Jesus in, in, in Matthew where he's tempted in the wilderness. When did, when did Satan come out of hardest? When he was by himself. And I find that me to be, with, with, that's true in my life. When I'm by myself, that's when I'm under attack the most. That's when I'm most tempted. That's when I'm most vulnerable. But when I'm here with you, or when I'm with my brothers and sisters, or when I'm in the context of community, I'm not so easily moved. I'm not so easily confused and convinced. Like Paul says, you're not, gonna, you're not gonna fall for the enemy's lies. Have you ever heard something, you maybe saw a video on YouTube or maybe some preacher or something, you thought, wow, that sounds convincing. And then you told a brother or sister within your church and they said, yeah, no, that's heresy. Have you ever had that gift? We hold one another to the truth. That's the job of the church. We sharpen each other. It says we won't be influenced. Verse 15, watch this, bring that back up. Verse 15, this is huge. Says, instead, we speak the truth in love. What an amazing thing. You know that the church should be the one place in the whole world that will actually tell you the truth? We are the people who actually want to hear the truth in love. In the context of love, we speak the truth. We say, hey, brother, you're a little off kilter here. You need to come into alignment with the truth. Or, hey, sister, did you know that that's a little crooked and you need to come into alignment with the truth? That we actually, in the context of the love of Christ, have the ability and the permission to speak truth into one another's lives. We speak the truth in love. Watch this. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. That's how we get sharpened. As each part does its own special work, it helps other parts grow. You see that? As you do your work, you help another person grow into the image of Jesus so that the whole body is healthy and growing in full of love. That is a beautiful picture, isn't it? That's the design of the church, that we are supposed to mutually surrender ourselves to one another, that I have permission to speak into your life and get this, you have permission to speak into mine. And that because we know we are based on the truth of the word of God and mutual love and grace, we can trust one another if someone says something that might kind of ruffle the feathers or it might hurt a little bit or it might feel like we're being shaved down. I have found in my life the most transformative moments and seasons of my whole life, the times where I have been shaped and sharpened into the image of Christ the most, have 10 times out of 10 come through another person. I have yet to have God like show up in my room and say, Brent, here's what I want you to do. He may and he can, that would be awesome. But that's not happened to me. The most transformative times in my life have been through a preacher, Or through a brother or sister, or at small group, or through my wife. My wife's an amazing agent of the refinement of God in my life, just saying. That's holiness happening right there. I have heard this more than once, babe. You don't know how you come across sometimes. And I say, I know exactly how I come across. I'm awesome. And God shaves down the edges and he sharpens me and he refines me. That's how God designs his church to work. Here, do you have anybody in your life that you're accountable to? Every Thursday I meet with three brothers and they're able to speak into my life, they're able to observe my life and I'm able to do the same for them. And that God has gifted the church with that sharpening factor. Proverbs 27:17 says, as an iron sharpens iron so one person sharpens another. If you are doing this faith thing alone, the image of Christ will not be shaped in you. It happens through the context of community. We're built together to sharpen each other. All right, I'm I'm almost done because I'm gonna be winded if I'm not. Number four is this. We aren't just built together to strengthen each other. We aren't just built together to shape each other. We aren't just built together to sharpen each other. I'm moving fast. I'm going to regret that. We're built together to stay together. And I love this concept that what God is building in the church is a kingdom and a people that will last forever. And here's the thing about community when we talk about community, we talk about like coming together and having relationships and having friendships. There are a lot of good communities in this world. There are a lot of good people that you can lock in with. There are great organizations. Maybe the people at your work, like this is my family, and you have that feeling. Or maybe at your business, or maybe at your hockey team, or whatever. There are great communities. But here's what I know to be true. There will be one community and one family name that lasts forever. And it's the Church of Jesus. Jesus. Like long after the Ingersoll name, I love my family. I'm thankful for it. I have a great family and God's given me a heritage that I plan to carry on. But long after the Ingersoll name is long forgotten, the name of Jesus, the family of God will remain. And it's the one body of people. It is the one community of people that is being built together for eternity. That, that Jesus isn't just building us to kind of maximize the next quarter He's not building us just this year so we can win a championship. He's building the church together to stay together forever. Isn't that an amazing thought? Like that, we read it earlier in worship, Revelation chapter seven, where John gets his picture. He says, then I looked and I saw a great multitude, more than anyone could number or count, 10,000 on 10,000 from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, every person around the world, people who died 10 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. And then people all throughout eternity gathered around forever. You see, God is making an eternal house, an eternal temple. And then when you put your faith in Jesus, when you give yourself to the body of Christ, you're giving yourself to a kingdom that Hebrews 12 says cannot be shaken. Families can be shaken. Nations can be shaken. Businesses can be shaken. Your hockey team, if you're a Maple Leafs fan especially, can be shaken. But the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. The church of Jesus will be here in a hundred years. The church of Jesus will be here in a thousand years. The church of Jesus will be here in 10,000 years. Think about this. Let, Let this pop your brain open a little bit. The church of Jesus will be here in a million years. This is the family you want to give your life to. We are built together to stay together. We're built together to stay together. First Corinthians 12, 26, Paul keeps going. And he says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We're in this together. Thick and thin, up and down, in and out. We are stick, we are stuck together. I love that saying. It should be in the Bible. Maybe, maybe God made it up, but you know, you can choose your friends, but you can't pick your family. We're family. Whether you like me or not, I'll shape you so you like me. That's what we'll do. We are built together to stay together. Final, final observation is this. We are built together. We're built together to show Jesus. Jesus. that when you come together and I come together and we come together and we let God build your strength next to my strength, your gift next to my gift, your family next to my family, your preferences next to my preferences and we all surrender ourselves and submit ourselves together, what happens is we form the shape of Jesus in our world. Do you know that Jesus, when he was with his disciples, John 13, like through 17, Jesus basically tells his disciples, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die, essentially. I'm going to rise again. He says, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he tells them, though, he encourages them for like four chapters. And he says in John 13, let's read it. Bring it up on the screen. John 13, Jesus says this. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. And now get this, Jesus isn't speaking in general terms. He's not saying love the world. We've already covered that. He is talking about his people, his disciples, you, me, people called by the name of Jesus. He says, love each other just as I have loved you. That's a tall order, isn't it? Did Jesus put up with us? Yeah. Did Jesus forgive us? Was he long suffering? Was he gracious? Was he compassionate? Was he understanding? Was he truthful? He was all those things. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Here it is, verse 35. This is the whole point of being built together. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. How you love me and how I love you and how you love one another, how we love one another is the qualifying proof that we belong to Jesus. It's not signs and wonders, as much as we wanna see those things. It's not great preaching. It's not biblical authority. It's not a culture of honor. All these things, these matter to us. They're on the wall. These things matter. But Jesus said, the thing that proves to the world that you belong to me and the, the thing by which the world will see who I am and who my Father is is by the unity and love of the church. I think it's interesting when I think about the church, I think about my own propensity to be critical of other churches or other, other groups of people. And if you think about it, what area would Satan try to attack the church? If the, church, if the Satan was gonna kind of cripple the effectiveness of the church of Jesus Christ, what would he do? He would just try to disassemble us because he knows that when we love one another in kingdom, when we love one another as Christ has loved us, we come together as a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And like Peter says, we are built together as living, breathing stones that form the dwelling place of God. You see, I'm not God, you're not God, but when we come together in mutual, voluntary submission and surrender to his will and to one another, God dwells within us. And the truth that, that if we're going to ever see a move of God, like we, like we dream of, we want to see revival sweep, it's going to come when the church gets unified and locked in. God's not waiting for us to pray a certain prayer. God is waiting for us to walk in lockstep in the reality of the kingdom together, shaping and forming each other and providing grace to each other so that we love each other the way Jesus loved us. And in that, the world sees Christ. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. If we want the world to experience the grace of God, we have to let him build us together. If we want the world to experience the supernatural, it's when we're built together. If we want the world to experience the reality of the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, it's when we're built together. And so I wanted to end our time together realizing that we can have this code of kings and we can have these values which frankly I think are biblical and eternal values and they're worth hanging on to and they're worth fighting for. But if we don't lock arms together, we might as well pack it up and go home. But if we allow God to build us together and we form the dwelling place of God, that's when miracles happen. That's when nations are changed. That's when cities are changed. That's when families are changed. It's together. I wanna pray together together and I'm gonna ask you to do something. You don't have to do it, but I'd appreciate it if you did this just to humor me and just for the sign of unity. If there's someone nearby to you or maybe two people, can you just put your hand on their shoulder and wanna to pray together? Just put your hand on, just let's, let's, let's lock up. Yeah, we're the church, it's weird. We're a family. You might be one of those families who don't like to touch each other. Sorry, not this one. I want to just pray and ask that God would build us together in a special way. And here's the thing: in my heart, I got thinking about this and like the urgency for us to embrace this as we get over—we're over a thousand people, and now two thousand people—would say they're part of this church. Like, if we if we lose this unity, we lose the battle. So this is crucial. So let's just ask God as we kind of close this series and close this day. Let's ask him to just unify us and bind us together and that we give one another permission to strengthen each other and shape each other and sharpen each other, that God would create the image of Christ in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for who you are and what you've done. Lord, we thank you for mercy. We thank you for grace. We thank you for forgiveness. And Lord, we thank you for your gift of grace in our lives and in this world called the Church of Jesus. And God, I pray in Jesus' name as we close this series and as we have committed ourselves to these values of being biblical people and being people of the King and people by the Spirit and people of honor, God, as we were people on a mission, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would teach us and give us grace to love each other as you have loved us. And Lord, would we find strength and peace and hope and joy in the context of each other. And Lord, would you build us together in such a way? Would you, would you build a home? Would you build a house in us that this city has to take notice? Hey, who are those 2,000 people that live in such community and grace? There must be a God. Lord, would you shape us and form us together? Would you lock us together in such a way, Lord, that the world would see your glory and your goodness? Would they know that we are yours because we speak the truth and love to each other, because we don't neglect each other, because we don't neglect gathering together, because we realize that we're grace to each other. Would the world know that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and that we belong to you because we love each other? God, we love you. Teach us how to be unified, that the world and this city and this region and this nation would see a great revival like unprecedented, We pray in the mighty, matchless name of our King Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen.